Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. We want to welcome all of those of you listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. You're here in the program live today. And we also want to welcome everyone listening on the East Coast on Hope FM and Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, and also those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. Just a reminder that those listening on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay, which means that you get to call in, and, and uh, we'd love to still hear from you, and we'd love to take your questions and prayer requests. And then you'll have the unique opportunity you get to tune in a week later, and you get to listen to yourself on the radio. So a big hello to everyone, though, also who listens online. We know there are so many of you who tune in via the mobile app and the website. So if you don't have the mobile app, definitely recommend that you go get that. So just open up on your phone or tablet the App Store and put in the search bar Grace FM, and it'll come right up. You can get the Grace FM app, and then you can listen over the Internet on your phone or tablet. And you can also, if you're on a laptop or any other device, you can also just go in your browser to the website. So you can just go to gracefm.com. It's gracefm.com, and then you'll be able to click on Listen Live, and you'll be able to hear this show and all the other ones live on the air. So however you've tuned in today, we're so glad that you're here. This is the show where you can call in with questions about the Bible or things going on in your life. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, we would love to pray for you. So do give us a call or text us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself. I see we already have, we already have um, calls coming in, but we... Uh, just give you a few words about myself as uh, we wait for those lines to fill up even more. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And we meet in downtown Longmont on, uh, at, well, I'll tell you, 700 Longs Peak Avenue, which is the St. Vrain Memorial Building. So we meet just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. So if you're familiar with Longmont, if you know the city, we are in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, 700 Longs Peak Avenue, just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue, which is one of the main streets downtown. And we're right on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And so we're on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. And we meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And if you are in Longmont or in any of the surrounding towns or communities, we would love to have you come and worship with us this Sunday or any Sunday. We meet at 10 a.m. there at that location I mentioned to you, right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman in downtown Longmont. And we would love for you to come uh, worship with us. We have a great children's ministry, a great worship ministry, and really 
honestly, God is doing some great things at our church, especially over these last uh, two months. We've really just been feeling that God's doing something um, very exciting, very new, even in our church. So we're, we're excited about that. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com, and you can go on there and you can find you can listen to some of our past messages. You can find out about our mission and vision and some of the great projects we're involved with here. We have a school of ministry going on. We're, we're really big on community groups and uh, in a cycle of community groups right now, as a matter of fact, that are really good. Um, we do sermon-based small groups, which means that uh, we build a curriculum each week based on our sermon, and then all of our, our all of our community groups discuss it and go a little further in the Bible study with it. It's really been a great way. Um, you know, for me as a pastor to, to say, okay, that I've only got, let's say, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, 45 minutes to, to share from a particular passage. But what the community groups do is they, they give me the opportunity. I have to, I end up inevitably cutting so many things out of the message that I really want to share, that I'm excited to share with people uh, from the Word. And what those community groups do is they give us opportunity for, for us to sh still share those things with people and for the, us to give them the opportunity to discover those things together and, and pray together. It's been really, really great. So check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com, or you can find us on all social media. So Facebook, Twitter, where we are on podcasts, if you're a podcast listener, uh, we're on YouTube and uh, we're on Instagram. So we'd love to have you connect with us online. You can also hear me every weekday at 2.30 p.m. on Grace FM. We have a show that airs at that time called Life in the Field, which is all about how God has called us to live our lives in God's mission field, which is the world. And so that's every weekday, 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time on Grace FM, and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If for some reason you are not able to make it to church Sunday morning at 10 a.m., then we'd love for you to tune in and listen to the Bible study there. Uh, on Grace FM at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Let's go to our first caller, Sean in Thornton, Colorado. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the program. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I was calling because my wife and I and her uh, half-sister went to a service on Sunday, and we really liked the message. Mm -hmm. um, but in the middle of the message, we sort of had to look at each other because the uh, worship band started playing a song by uh, Eminem, the, mm -hmm. the secular artist. Yeah. And we were sort of like, you know, we got a little red face. We you know, weren't expecting something like that at a church service. It wasn't treated as like the regular worship. They had the regular worship in the beginning of the service, but um, it was just sort of, I guess, bizarre. And, and we wanted, uh, well, I wanted to, to ask uh, if that's, you know, appropriate. I mean, I don't know if they changed the words to the lyrics. I know some of his lyrics are pretty um, bad uh, from right. when I was a kid, but uh, yeah. I don't know if he's different now. But I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, so I know that that's a practice in some churches. Um, I know there's a church here in Longmont that does that as well. Um, I'll tell you what, we don't do it, and I'll tell you why we don't do it. I think that, you know, when it comes to this question, it's not... It's not, I don't know if I would say that it's like categorically wrong, but I think that what we should do is we should have a discussion over what the purpose of a worship service is. See, I think that's really what we need to discuss. Like, okay, is this an appropriate thing to do? And what is the purpose and goal and mission of a worship service? And then, um, then we can decide, you know, what, what, what would be appropriate to do in it. So for us, you know, we, we don't do that because 
for us, the purpose of the worship service and the purpose of the congregational singing is, is really to bring glory to God and to focus our hearts on God and to speak those words of praise to God. I just don't think personally that it's a place for, um, you know, us, us to be playing music. I, I do get the point of connecting with culture and trying to use a kind of bridge, right? So finding something that people are familiar with and saying, okay, hey, here's what popular culture is saying about this topic, and here's how we can bring the gospel into it, and we can use that as a bridge over which we can connect, we can agree on, like, let's say, this particular point, and now we can bring in the gospel to show you how that point is correct, but it's not fully uh, formed thought or, or fully formed idea and that needs the gospel to bring it to fruition or whatever that song is pointing to. Um, so all that all that to say, clearly they, they have a view of their Sunday morning worship service that it, the purpose of it is to do something, right? And perhaps they view it as being evangelistic primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps that's what they're trying to do is connect with people, let's say, who aren't churched people, so to say, and connect with them in that, that, um, that sense. I guess, I guess I would just say this, that I think that we really need to ask, what is the purpose of our church service? Is it to be evangelistic in nature? And if so, then it might be appropriate to connect with those things, uh, culturally. If, on the other hand, the purpose of our worship service is to give glory to God and to equip believers for the work of the ministry, which I would argue is the role of the church primarily and the church service, then I would say that I just don't think it's appropriate. And, and furthermore, I don't really, I think that, you know, if you really look at these studies, I don't think it's really necessary. And I actually don't think it's really that helpful um, in connecting with culture. So... That, those are my thoughts. Okay. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I, I think that's really helpful. I've been praying about it. And I, I, just, I, I, I felt really, I guess, a little uncomfortable. And, I, you know, my wife's half-sister is young, so mm-hmm. um, I don't want to give her, you know, a bad impression or, or whatever. Sure. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I said, for us, we don't do it. We, we've uh, had discussions in our staff meeting about why we don't do it, and I think that's really the conclusion. Is is it's a vision of what our church exists to do and what our services are for. So, okay, well, thank cool. you so much. I really appreciate it. You bet. God bless you, Sean. All right, bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have three open lines, so all open lines right now. Now would be a great time for you to call in if you've been looking for an opportunity to do so, or if you've had some questions over time or things going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or advice about. We'd love to talk with you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. While we're waiting for those calls to come in, um, I'll just tell you about a series we've been doing at our church that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so for the past couple weeks, I guess now it's been six weeks, or maybe five. I'll have to count again, but I think it's, oh, it's been six weeks now for sure. We've been doing a series called Remember the Prophets. And this series idea comes from James chapter 5, verse 10, 
which tells us uh, to remember the prophets and look to them as examples for how to live in the face of adversity or perseverance in the face of adversity. And it's really interesting, you know, because what he's telling us there essentially is that when we study the prophets, we shouldn't only study the words that they wrote or the words that they spoke, their prophecies, in other words. We should also consider their lives that they lived. I think that's, first of all, that's a really important message for all of us. Uh, that the words that we live, or sorry, the lives that we live are really important, not just the words that we speak. And I think of the Apostle Paul, for example, in Acts chapter 20, when he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, the people that he pastored for three years, and uh, trained them up and raised them up and made them into leaders. And now he's going to Jerusalem and he says he'll probably never see them again. And so you can imagine that, that the last words he's going to have to say to them are probably going to be pretty important. And so how does Paul begin his talk to the Ephesian elders as he says goodbye? He says, remember the way that I lived among you. Not just, he doesn't start by saying, hey, don't forget all the things I taught you. He says, I want you to remember the way that I lived among you. In other words, Paul's greatest sermon he ever preached was preached with the life that he lived. And we see that James saying exactly the same thing about the prophets. Look at the lives that they lived. Look at the sermons they preached with their lives. Look at how they lived. And so, for the past several weeks, that's what we've been doing, is we've been going through some of the prophets, uh, Old Testament prophets, the writing prophets who wrote the books, and we've been looking at their um, lives and who they were as people and how they encountered God and how they persevered in the face of hardship. And this past Sunday, we looked at Daniel, and our study was called How to Live a God-Honoring Life in a Hostile Environment. And that's really the case with Daniel. He was in a hostile environment where he's feeling so much pressure to conform and to compromise his values. And so, and yet he lived a God-honoring life and he did that by engaging, by, by being a person of integrity and by determining in his mind what he would do and what he wouldn't do ahead of time. And we can see that those are really important factors for us too as we seek to live God-honoring lives in our environments, whether they're hostile to our faith or not even today. Uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel, and the, the title of that message is Strength for the Hurting. What I found interesting about Ezekiel, I have to admit, um, Ezekiel's probably one of the books that I am least familiar with when it comes to the Old Testament. I mean, I know all the main stories and main prophecies and things like that, but it's just not one that I'm expressly familiar with. So as I've been studying Ezekiel for a little bit now, what I found is that Ezekiel was a person who experienced great personal tragedy. Um, his wife died, for example. He was taken away from his home, and he was a prophet in exile. He was actually being trained to be a priest, but by the time he reached age 30 to be a priest, there was no temple. Well, at least they were cut off from the temple, and truly the temple had been destroyed by that time. And so rather than becoming a priest, God called him to uh, become a prophet. And uh, he served as a prophet for 30 years in Israel. And what's interesting is he served during the time before Israel was able to go back from the exile. And so he preached a message uh, as a hurting person to other hurting people. And the fuel for his strength to do that was found in the vision he had of God. Vision of God's glory. That God wasn't confined to Jerusalem, but that God was also present there with them in the exile. And... Um, he had this vision um, to tell people, this calling from God to tell people about the hope that could be found by turning um, to God and receiving God's promise for their lives and 
finally he saw hope for the future. And it's just, I'm really excited about this uh, Sunday. Looking forward to preaching this message on strength for the hurting. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I would encourage you to do a study of the prophets with this idea in mind, you know, remembering who they were, not just what they said. So um, it's been a great study for us. I'm looking forward to this Sunday uh, studying through Ezekiel. Let's go to Nicole in Castle Rock, Colorado. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Um, so basically, I've been going through a really nasty divorce over the last nine months. It it was it was a very bad relationship, um, and it is now finalized. However, um, my ex is just being extremely difficult as far as time with my child and even getting my things from um, our marital home. Um, I'm just struggling a lot, um, not so much with faith, just how I'm supposed to deal with someone as negative um, as he's been. And, um, yeah, I'm just struggling a lot with that. And I was hoping maybe for some prayers uh, to help yeah. to guide me to how I'm supposed to communicate with him. Yeah. Okay, well, let's pray for you, and then um, maybe I'll have some thoughts for you. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for Nicole, and I just hear the hurt in her voice, Lord, and just um, my heart goes out to her, wanting to uh, walk with you and honor you, but also know she needs wisdom, Lord, how to communicate with her ex, and especially with a child involved. Lord, I pray that you would really speak to her, give her wisdom, and I thank you for your promise, like we read in James, where it says that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should come to you and you will give wisdom to those who need it and those who ask for it. So Lord, I do pray you give that wisdom and give her the grace to be able to speak wisely, to be able to speak words of grace, but words that are seasoned with salt, as your word says. And I pray that, Lord, you would guide her as she uh, seeks to continue communicating and has to com continue communicating with her ex. Lord, would you give her the grace? Would you, by your spirit within her, give her the strength? Lord, as, you, as your word says in Ephesians 6, may she be strong in the strength of the Lord and the power of your might, Lord, not uh, in her own, because sometimes, of course, our strength is not enough. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are in her, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to enable her to do the things that you're calling her to do in the way that you're calling her to do them. And I pray that, Lord, she would experience that and embrace it and walk in it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, Nicole, you know, I think the only, you know, I would recommend a few things for you. One of them is, you know, in the study of the book of Daniel, which I mentioned we just did at our church this past Sunday, uh, yeah. What we saw is about how God, you know, how to live a God-honoring life in a hostile environment. And that sounds like mm -hmm. a fairly hostile environment. Um, one of the things that we learned from Daniel is that he was courageous and yet he was courteous, you know. And um, I think that I would encourage you to take that same tact with him and, and really, you know, be courageous, be unwilling to bend on things that are not worth bending over, you know, things that you're not willing to compromise on especially mm -hmm. things from your values, um, but do it courteously. In other words, um, do it in a way that really honors God. And the other part is that, you know, with Daniel, we see that he did these things and, uh, you know, people tried to stab him in the back. People tried to bring him down. Um, but Daniel kind of kept his cool. And in the end, 
people were turned to God because of the way that Daniel conducted himself. You see that both of the uh, pagan rulers that Daniel served under actually ended up giving glory and honor to God in the end. And a big part of that was because of how Daniel conducted himself. So I would just remind you that um, we have a power and a strength that Daniel didn't have. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit within us to not just lead us into what to do, but also give us the strength to do it. So that's going to be my prayer for you. Thank you so much. And I listen to you guys all the time, and you do amazing work. And it gives a lot of support to not only me, but I'm sure a ton of other people. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks, Nicole. God bless you. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to our next caller, Emily in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Um, So my question was, um, what are your opinions on um, the different translations for the New Testament coming from um, Texas Receptus versus the Alexandrian? Um, My reasoning for that is um, I grew up with the King James Bible, and then I just had a hard time understanding it, so I ended up switching to NIV. And then I recently went back to the King James Bible. Um, the closer I get to God and the more I've read about, you know, the NIV, NLT, all the translations that come from the, um, pop in just quick, all the Alex, all of the, um, translations that come from the Alexandrian text instead of the Texas Receptus text. And, um, so I just felt a lot more comfortable reading the King James Version just because I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Well, I recently um, started school, and I'm getting my degree in biblical studies. And my concern with it is, is they only allow um, the NLT or NIV or ESV. And um, I just worry that is there, I guess, I don't know how to really phrase it, but is there something wrong with, I mean, only learning out of, the um, New Testament that comes from the Alexandrian text, especially if that's what I'm getting my degree in? Yeah, so I actually am not a proponent of the Textus Receptus as the best manuscript of the New Testament, and I'll give you a few reasons. Uh, The Textus Receptus was assembled. Now, I say assembled because the documents are older than this, but it was assembled by Erasmus in the early 1500s. And um, since that time, many biblical manuscripts have been discovered which are older and more accurate. And I don't just say more accurate because that's my opinion, because I was going to say arguably more accurate, but I don't actually think it's arguably more accurate. I think it's, it's um, you know, distinctly more accurate than the manuscripts um, that were compiled by Erasmus in the early 1500s to create the Textus Receptus. Um, so, okay, just remember that fact that, you know, this is when he assembled it and he's using, because Erasmus, you know, this was at the beginning of the Renaissance, really this is like the pre-Renaissance, right? The early uh, Reformation. Now, Erasmus was not a reformer, he was Catholic, but, um, but you know, this was a movement that began with scholasticism, Thomas Aquinas, you know, rediscovering, like you said, uh, Alexandrian documents, rediscovering. Right. 
um, the texts of like Aristotle and discovering the going back to the original text, you might know already that the the call of the Enlightenment, which is actually goes beyond even before the Enlightenment and the Renaissance, was in Latin ad fontes, which means back to the sources. And so that started a whole thing. You might remember that before that, everybody used the Latin Vulgate, which was a translation into Latin from the Septuagint, which was a translation of the Hebrew, right? So we're translation of a translation of a translation. Okay, <clears throat> and what these guys did, starting with Erasmus, which was really, really helpful, by the way, he said, no, we need to go back to the original sources. And so therefore, we need to go and find the oldest and most reliable sources of the the Bible that we can. And so he put together the Textus Receptus, or which literally just means received text. And uh, that is the basis then for a lot of the first Protestant translations of the Bible. So not just in English, right? But in Spanish, there's a translation that comes from that. I, I for example, am a Hungarian speaker. And there's a Hungarian translation based on that. And they all came about in the early 1500s. Um, actually, some of them even predate the King James Bible, but they, they come from the Textus Receptus, uh, which was put together by Erasmus, of biblical manuscripts, which at that time were considered the most reliable and the oldest. And my right. point here is just to say that was 500 years ago. And in the last 500 years, you know, there has been a lot more work done as far as the field of archaeology and uh, historical study. And what they have found is they have found more documents, older documents, and what appear to be more accurate documents. Now, when I say that they're accurate, what I mean by that is that uh, one of the things that the King James Bible itself admits is that there are additions to the text. So even in, in the beginning of your King James Bible, you're going to have uh, some I guess, for lack of a better term, it's a um, warning. It's not really a warning. It's just kind of information that tells you that any text you find in your Bible, which is in italics, has probably been added. Okay, and, and that's oh. true. Right, and so there are plenty of examples of this. A great example is like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, has extra text in it in the King James version of it than it does like in the ESV version. And... But that text is going to be in italics, and it's going to tell you that this was probably added uh, later on. Now, the reason those texts were added was not to change the meaning. Um, the reason that text was added was to explain the meaning. So it's basically a form of commentary. But even when it was inserted in there, right, it was inserted to help reveal the meaning of the text, um, not to change the meaning of the text. But again, the point is this, if we uh, want to deal with the Bible itself and not just commentary on the Bible, then we want to get back to the original text and weed out things that have probably been added later on. So okay. that that's my whole, uh, I realize that's a lot of information, but right. it is my explanation of why I don't personally think that the uh, Textus Receptus is the best um manuscript of the New Testament. Um, now, okay. the issue with that, I'll tell you this, that, that people will have, and I'm guessing even some of our listeners are starting to have this thought in their mind. Well, don't these newer translations remove verses? Well, Yeah, that was going to be my next question. 
to omitted yeah. verses. Yeah, so here's the thing. I guess we have to ask ourselves this question. Were those verses omitted or were they added? And and really, this is the, the discussion that needs to happen. Because um, what I'm trying to say, and, and really what the King James itself admits, is that these verses were added in the Textus Receptus. In other words, they were not in the original documents. In other words, so okay. it's not a matter of removing verses. It's a matter of that the the documents on which the King James is based have actually added verses. So they might be okay. really great verses, but if they were added after the fact, do we really want them? So I actually have more to say on that, um, but we have to go to break right now. Feel free to hold if you want, or I can just continue um, without you on the other side. But I got to let you okay. go for two minutes for our break. You're listening to Calvary Live. We'll be right back in two minutes time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests or things going on in your life. We would love to pray for you, and we would love to um, answer those questions if we can. Right before the break, we were talking about the New King or the King James Bible and the uh, manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts that were used to translate the New Testament. And so let's go back to that caller, and um, we can talk to Emily, calling from Shea, Wyoming. And Emily, we were just talking before the break about different. Bible manuscripts that are used for translating the New Testament specifically. And we were talking about the, the King James Version. And the last thing we talked about right before we um, had to go to break was we talked about the so-called removed verses in, again, so-called newer translations. So Right. Okay. And what I was telling you is that really since, uh, you know, the Textus Receptus was put together 500 years ago. And in the meantime, in the last 500 years, as archaeology has progressed and as, um, you know, we have, you know, communica communication revolution has taken place and, and information revolution, what we found is we've actually discovered newer, uh, well, I'm sorry, not newer, we have discovered older and more reliable manuscripts. And those are the bases of other translations like the ESV, for example, which is personally what I use, but it's also for... Uh, really hyper-literal translations like the NASB, um, as well as kind of middle-of-the-road kind of translations like the NIV. And so um, my point here was just to say this, where it's sometimes said that some verses have been removed from newer translations, it would actually be more accurate for us to say that um, other verses were added to what we now know as the King James. And I, and I just want to make sure that everybody listening knows this, that the way that English translations happen of the Bible is that no English, it's not like, so some people have this idea that we had the King James Bible and then we keep updating the King James Bible into newer and newer language and removing verses. Well, that is not at all how Bible translation is done. 
Uh, the way it's done is that we're using the same manuscripts, but translating them. In other words, the Bible doesn't change, and nor do we want to change it, but our, our vernacular changes. So if you've read something from Shakespeare, um, that's why it's almost completely difficult to understand. Anyway, right. so um, Emily, did you have any thoughts or questions on that? Um, no, that makes complete sense. Um, that all, yeah, all that makes complete sense then. Because, um, yeah, like I said, I started out with King James and I switched to the NIV. And then the more that I had read, um, getting online and talking to um, like my dad and other people who read just the King James had really, I started feeling like, okay, I was really missing something by only reading the NIV by, because I was um, missing all the stuff that the King James had intended. And that um, translations coming from the Alexandrian text were just um, not as, um, I guess, equal as they were coming from the Texas Receptus. Right. So, so I guess my, does... my opinion is that that's not true. And um, okay. I'll tell you this. There are two kinds of King James-only adherents. There are those who um, adhere to the King James because they like the King James itself. And there are those who adhere to the King James because they believe in the Textus Receptus being a superior manuscript. Um, okay. Now, both of those are, I guess, I have to tell you, faulty um, assumptions. I think the more okay. you'll look into it, and it sounds like you're going to be doing some biblical studies. Uh, you know, and for myself, I'll tell you this. I had to, I had to um, do biblical studies in seminary, and part of that was I had to learn Greek. And one of my, my final exam for Greek was I had to translate the book of 1 John into English from the Greek manuscripts. And we had both the Greek manuscripts that are used from the Texas Receptus and those that it come from the Alexandrian text. And, um, you know, there, there were one or two verses that are a really big deal, really big difference. And, um, you know, especially this one where it says that the, you know, it's a Trinitarian verse that's found in 1 John. You know, it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, mm -hmm. and that's one that we know for sure was a later edition. Uh, it's found okay. in the Textus Receptus, but not in the others. And I guess that's my point, is that do we really want the true text of the Bible, or do we want Erasmus's text from 1500 that he compiled? But since then, we, we've, right. we've done much more work, and we've actually gotten better documents. And, and I guess i got to tell you this, we're better off with the truth than we are with not the truth, right? And so, right. Uh, but the, the, great, the great thing is that the truth is very clear. And, and right. I'll just say this, that I ended up doing an analysis. Part of my project was I had to do an analysis of three different Bible translations. So I decided to do one of the NASB, which is hyperliteral. I did the King James Version, and I did the NIV. And much to my surprise, I found that the NIV was actually one of the best translations out there. Um, okay. Now, I, I wouldn't recommend other translations. Like, for example, the message, it, that doesn't even deserve to be called a translation. That is a commentary. 
Um, it's not okay. even what we would, some people say, oh, it's a, uh, what do they call that when they say it's a summary of, of the thoughts? It's actually not even that. It really is just a commentary on the meaning of the Bible. Anytime you're trying to tell somebody what a text means, you're actually doing commentary and interpretation, not translation. So okay. uh, I, I actually think the NIV is pretty good. And, uh, okay. and, and here's the last thing I'll leave you with. I did a uh, series about this on my blog and on my website. Um, I have one where I write articles all the time. And I decided to do a three-part series on making sense of different Bible translations. So if there's anybody listening, um, anybody listening who would like a link to that uh, series, I did a part on the King James Bible, I did a part on the NIV, and I did a part on understanding Bible translation in general. And I'd be happy to send you that link, or you can just go to my, my website, which is nickkady.org, so N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org, and just type in the search bar there, uh, Bible Translations, and it should kick it right out. But if you want to give your uh, email address to the producer, or if anybody wants to text in and send me your email address, I'd be happy to send you a link to that series, and you can check it out. And a producer's telling me real quick, just to be really clear, am I denying the Trinity by pointing out that the Trinitarian verse is an addition? No, I am not denying the Trinity. I absolutely believe in the Trinity unequivocally, but um, the particular way that that verse is translated is more of an interpretation than actually the true Greek text. So I hope that makes okay. sense. Yep. Okay, well, thanks, I Emily. Appreciate it. You bet. God bless you. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the text line is 720-336-0897. Let's go to Joanne in Inglewood, Colorado. Hi, Joanne. Welcome to the program. Ah, Thank you. Uh, I have a question. I've been studying in the book of Revelation and looking at the term uh, forever as it relates to the lake of fire and what have you. It appears that, um, according to the Strong's definition, it looks like um, the term forever can be like eternity past um, to eternity forward. And I just wondered if if people are really in the lake of fire for eternity, or does it mean that they literally perished and no longer exist? Yeah, so those are two views on hell that are, you know, traditionally held. I would say the latter view is 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 not totally like a new view, but it is, I would say, newer. And I'll explain what those two views are. Okay, so the first view is called eternal conscious torment. So eternal, it sounds horrible because, well, frankly, I think it is meant to be horrible. Um, eternal conscious torment, sometimes even abbreviated as ECT. Um, and then the other view, which you mentioned, is called annihilationism. So annihilationism, which basically says this, that people who are in hell right now, that what will happen is that when Jesus returns, there's a day of judgment, and then the there will be a new heavens and a new earth, right? And those who are in the presence of God now will be in the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And those who are in hell, as we call it now, hell will be emptied into the lake of fire. And that's talked about here um, in uh, this section. So hell will be emptied into the lake of fire. And 
um, they will be destroyed. So the question is, uh, will those people experience torment for an instant and then be destroyed forever and cease to exist? Or will they suffer conscious torment for literal eternity? And, uh, and so that's the question. Now, you had mentioned a verse, right? 22 verse 5, Revelation. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so I'll just read that verse. And it's actually speaking of heaven. And here's what that verse says. So the part about the lake of fire actually comes before that. Um, but here's what 22 verse 5 says. It says that, uh, well, certain verse 4. They will see his face, that's God's face. His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp, uh, no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And I'm looking at uh, Strong's Concordance right now. And the word forever is the word ion. I'm just going to look it up real quick. It says ice ion ion, which means forever and ever. And here's what it means. Uh, forever, an unbroken age, perpetuity of time, eternity, um, and ages to come. So that's, that's really what it means. Um, I'm personally not seeing anywhere where it could speak of eternity past. Like I said, I'm looking at uh, Strong's Greek Concordance right now. It can speak of a period of time, but specifically it mostly means an unbroken time that persists forever. And so uh, it would seem to me, and I'll tell you why I say this, it seems that what especially 22 verse 5 is saying is that there will be an eternal reign of those who are in heaven. Right? That means that we who are saved will reign with Jesus in, this, in his kingdom. Uh, they will reign forever and ever. Now, in the same way, I would, I would argue that if that's how we understand eternity in regard to heaven, I would also believe that that is how um, we should understand eternity when it comes to hell. So, that's, that's my take on it. I don't... Uh, you know, I'm not really convinced by the view of annihilationism, and I'll tell you why. I think that it comes from a good heart that says, you know, we don't want to see people suffer for eternity because that, to us, feels harsh or it feels like uh, unfair. Or even if it's right. fair, it still feels harsh. And, um, but I think that that can't be the starting place for our theology. Um, and here's why is that we have to, I, I think we have to take God's word at, at face value as what it says, unless otherwise um, it shows us that we shouldn't be taking that particular verse, you know, quite literally. But I would say that uh, in this case, it seems to be quite clear that he's talking about that. And I'll tell you, there are a few other verses too. When Jesus talks about hell and eternal suffering, you know, he, he uses these words that say that, you know, the fire will never be quenched and the worm will not die and things like that. There will be weeping of gnashing and teeth forever. And so I think that you really have to do some some gymnastics, so to say, in a, to um, to say that when he says forever, he doesn't really mean forever. So I guess that would be my take on it. But okay. I... I do think that we see, you know, we see in a mirror dimly. So 
we're trying to put together what we can see from the scriptures. But I think that where it says forever and ever, I personally believe that that means forever and ever. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, God bless you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have all open lines once again and 14 minutes left in the show. So we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. or text us at 720-336-0897. So once again, the call-in number 303-690-3000. And the text number, 720-336-0897. One thing I'll say on this last call that we had um, regarding hell is that I, I too, you know, I can, I can understand the position of a person who says, you know, it seems harsh to me um, that God would send someone to hell forever. Um, I, I can empathize with that feeling. Uh, one one of the things I would want to say is that it does seem, though, that God is very clear. Like in Ezekiel, as I'm studying for this coming Sunday and studying to teach about the life of Ezekiel and about his message, one of the things about Ezekiel is that he makes it very clear that God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but desires for all to repent and be saved. And he says, you know, throughout the word, in so many places in the Old Testament, you know, like in Deuteronomy, before I, behold, I set before you today life and death. Choose life. In other words, Ezekiel is a great example of the fact that God is holding out salvation to us. And, other, and, and really, to, um, you know, it's been said this way. I think it's a bit of a harsh way to put it, but I do think it is effective and true. And um, and that's this, that if someone goes to hell, they have to do so over Jesus' dead body in the sense of that he has done everything. He has given his life. He has spoken to us through his word. He sends messengers out into the world, evangelists. Uh, by his Holy Spirit, he is calling all people to repentance. And to not receive his salvation, y you have to reject it. And so, um, you know, my, my heart does go out to those um, people who, who say, wow, that just seems really harsh. And my heart goes out to people who say, you know, I have people I know and love and care about uh, who, um, who are probably not in heaven. My heart breaks for that. And I think that um, our hearts should break for that. I think that's exactly what God's saying in Ezekiel. He doesn't delight in, in destruction, destroying those people. Um, but he desires for all people to hear the word, uh, the offer of his mercy, the offer of grace through Jesus Christ and to be saved. And so uh, that would be my appeal to any of you listening out there today who have maybe been on the fence or you've been resisting. You know, you know what, uh, what Jesus has done and you know what God is calling you to do, but you've been resisting. Maybe you've been holding out for one reason or another. My, um, uh, Yes, I would say my holy plea petition with you today is this, that you would stop resisting and that you would give your life to Jesus and that you would receive the salvation that God offers you through the finished work of Jesus uh, today. We never know how much time we've got left. And furthermore, I, you know, I think about what God said to Paul the Apostle 
where he told him, um, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? Because Paul had been resisting God for so long, and he God compared it to an animal kicking against the goads. A goad is a, sh a sharp stick that would be used to prod an animal and get it moving into a particular direction. And so, um, you know, for the, if the animal was stubborn and fought against it, they would kick against those goads. But as a sharp stick, when they kicked against it, they would actually be causing themselves more pain. And it's just a picture of what happens when we resist uh, God's will for our lives and God's what God's doing with us, calling us by His Spirit. Uh, it's like kicking against the goads, and in the end, uh, we don't uh, we don't accomplish anything. We um, we just hurt ourselves. And like it says there, we finally um, are destroyed. And so um, that's a very sobering thought, but it should be a sobering thought that really works for us as a wake-up call and says, okay. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about myself, and um, there was a time in my own life where I remember I was a teenager, and uh, I had this friend of mine who had shared the gospel with me, uh, I used to drive this girl to school from my neighborhood, and uh, we went to school outside of our school district, and um, we would drive to school. So it was a bit of a long drive every day, back and forth. And, you know, she shared the gospel with me, and I knew that it was true. And I knew that God was calling me to respond and to, to lay down my defenses and just say yes to him. But I... I was hesitant to do it, and I pushed back for so long. And I can totally know what that verse means when it says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? And I, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I remember really the last straw for me is that I went to this place one night with uh, some family members of mine, cousins. Um, and I remember coming away from that place and the things that happened in that place that night and just thinking, yeah, you know what, if there is a hell... I'm definitely going there because I've been resisting God and I, I've just been pursuing sin and uh, and I'm not right with God at all. And I remember uh, just really being worried about that. And, and really, it's funny. There are two things. One is that the thing that kept me from giving my life to Jesus was this kind of like fear that if I give my life to Jesus, I will lose so much. Right? I will have to give up so much, right? Like I'll have to listen to, you know, Christian music, which I didn't think at the time was cool at all. And I'm going to have to, you know, become like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons and be a, you know, the kind of person that I didn't like uh, and that I perceived that Christians were. A square, you might say, as our producer's telling me now. Yeah, and I was so worried about that. I was worried that if I gave my life to Jesus, that I would have a small life. And here's the irony of that, that by giving my life to Jesus, I avoided having a small life, and actually the world opened up before me. And I've had actually a really great life because I gave my life to Jesus. And I look back at some of the people that I was with and doing things with at that time when I was not walking with the Lord and and I see how relatively small their world became and um, and I see how how much the world opened up for me because I finally said you know what even if it means that I have to listen to music I don't like and I have to become a square and become Ned Flanders I'm going to give my life to Jesus because He's offering me a fresh start. And here's the other thing I wanted to say is that what I realized in my life at that time was that I was not actually enjoying 
resisting God. It's that idea of kicking against the goads. I was causing myself pain, hardship, frustration, suffering. And I got to this point one day, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, where I just came to this realization of like, well, why are you resisting? It's not like you're happy. It's not like you're content doing these things that you know are sin, which you know are going to destroy you. And you know that you're going to go to hell and you don't want to go to hell. And, and I realized this resistance is futile, you know, to use that phrase. Like resisting God is just, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I doing? And I remember that day I got down on my knees in my, my bedroom and I just prayed and I said, God, if you'll give me a new life, if you'll take away my sins and give me a new identity and a new future and a new life, then I will give my whole life to you and I'll be totally submitted to whatever you want. And so that was the day when I really gave my life to the Lord. As a teenager, high school student in my bedroom at night one night. And, you know, what's funny is that I just felt this great weight lift off my shoulders. I felt this relief and I felt this knowledge that I am right with God. That he took away that which uh, was a barrier between me and him. I, I was relieved knowing that the promise of heaven was now mine. It wasn't just something out there that maybe if I'm lucky will happen. But I said, yeah, I knew that, you know, God's word said that if I give my life to him and I receive Jesus and I'm in Christ, then heaven, the promise of heaven is mine. And then here's the crazy thing is that the world totally opened up before me. You know, it's like uh, this verse in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And that was the case with my life. I remember I started, uh, I became a Christian, gave my life to the Lord. I started serving him. And, uh, and that's taken me, you know, all over the world. Some of you probably know my story that I was a missionary in Hungary for 10 years, got to do uh, things that I loved, and I still get to do things that I love. I get to bring hope and healing into lives of uh, broken and hopeless people through the gospel. And that is a wonderful thing. And um, I would just encourage anybody out there, if, if maybe you've been hesitating to go all in, and really put down your yes and, and really give your life fully over to God because maybe you're afraid of what you'll lose. I just want to tell you this. That is a lie from the devil to try to hold you back from giving your life to God because the reality and the truth is that it is Satan and sin that will hold you back from having a full and big life. And it is in truly giving your life to God and walking in the Spirit that you'll experience a big life, an excitement, an exciting life. You know, one of the things I think about is about in Acts chapter 8, there's this story of this man who's a, well, he's the uh, evangelist, right? Simon the evangelist. And so, uh, I'm sorry, Philip the evangelist. So Philip the evangelist, he's, uh, he, he goes out from Jerusalem. He was a deacon in the church, just serving in the church. And then he goes out and God leads him. And then he, he gets led to this Samaria all these people are coming to the Lord. He's getting to talk to him about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit leads him way out into the desert. And he meets this guy from Ethiopia. And, and I guess God, whenever I read that story, I'm like, this is what walking in the Spirit, this is what the real Christian life is all about. It's exciting. It's adventurous because the Holy Spirit is leading you. So, hey, we got one call and we got three minutes. Let's go to Kenny in Lakewood, Colorado. Hi, Kenny. Welcome to the program. Hello. How are you doing? Doing great. What's up? Um, no, I was just calling for a prayer and what all that stuff that you talked about kicking against the, you know, the boat and yeah. uh, worrying about the Christian life and all that. 
that's what I'm going through right now. But I, I mean, I want that life. I, I want to do what God wants me to do. And I'm just tired of just uh, stuck in sin, you know? Yeah. Kenny, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been there. What can I do for you? Can I pray for you? Yeah, I was just looking for a prayer. Yeah, that would be awesome. Awesome. Let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Kenny. I know what it feels like to be in that place that he's saying he's in. I'm glad, Lord, that um, that we're able to have this discussion. Lord, I pray for Kenny, truly, that like the Apostle Paul, that uh, he would just be so tired of kicking against the goads and that he would be so tired of believing this lie that if he gives his life to you, he's it's going to be so much about what he has to give up and what he has to lose. Lord, that's not true. It's not from you. Lord, we know the fact is that you are offering him life and life abundantly. You're offering him joy and adventure and walking with you and light and life. And uh, sin is really just, it makes your world small and re- resisting your will for our lives. It makes our lives little. And so, Lord, I pray for Kenny that truly he would give his life fully over to you, that he would go all in, that he would hold nothing back, and that um, he would experience that abundant life in you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Absolutely, Kenny. Thanks for calling in. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Well, we've come to the end of our program today. We have uh, less than a minute left. You've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Hey, if you're looking for a place to worship this Sunday, we'd love to have you come and worship with us at the church I pastor in Longmont. It's called Whitefields Community Church. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Find out more information at whitefieldschurch.com. If you're interested in reading uh, some articles like ones we mentioned on the radio today, check out nickcady.org. And I will be with you again later this week. Tune in every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time for Calvary Live. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.